So welcome to the Restoring the Soul podcast, my dear friend, Andy Kolber. Welcome back. Uh, thank you so much for having me back. You know, your writing is so personal and intimate, and you blend the spiritual and theological with a clinical and professional and then a scientific aspect all together in such a rich, rich way. And therefore, you're not just writing a book to get it out there to sell a book. You're actually uh, writing your own story and what you have learned in life and what you do as you help people. Yeah, I think that's that is fair. And I feel very honored by those words because I think for me, it's definitely so much more than just creating um, a product you know, that this is something that my hope is that it's out of the overflow of my own journey. Um, and not only my personal journey, but my work with clients, my research, my own blending of understanding various uh, theories and wanting to bring them together in a way that they are more full and more whole um, when I hopefully bring them together. And I know for me, particularly as a trauma survivor, a lot of this is born from what I have needed to do um, in order to heal. And it's also been the work of, um, for my clients, figuring out how do I not just put this clunky sort of checklist on people, but how do I see people in the fullness of the image of God in them and attune to that? And then using the, the many tools that are available to us, the spectrum that God provides to us, um, sort of being able to have some flexibility to choose as it is helpful and as it is appropriate to create something new from all of those things. I love that because I, I often say that when it comes to transformation, one size doesn't fit all. And that just as people go mad in idiosyncratic ways, people heal in idiosyncratic ways, although there are some commonalities. I want to talk about the book, but first, if we can look backwards a little bit, um, you've told me before that you're just kind of starstruck with the fact that maybe that's not the best word because that can be presumed as, as like conceited. You've been dumbfounded on one level that Try Softer, your first book, has had as big of an impact as it has and that it's kind of exceeded your expectations. Now, mm. it didn't exceed my expectations because I had the, the privilege of endorsing it and I just thought this book will change lives. But your life has changed as a result of writing the book and as a result of putting your story out there. So two questions. The first one is how has your life changed as a result of having a successful book like this when you were just Andy the therapist in mm -hmm. Castle Rock, Colorado? And the second question is how has TriSofter changed people's lives? Because I know that as authors, we all have a hope for what will happen. But you've get, you've had the, the privilege of meeting people, getting emails, comments on social media, being on podcasts. And there's a lot of a lot of chatter about your book mm -hmm. and its impact, which is why we give a copy to everybody that does an intensive at Restoring the Soul. We keep mm -hmm. cases of them around. <laughs> wow. Well, 
thank you. Thank you so much. Just first for just the, just the honor that you speak about me with and, and this work, it, it means so much. Um, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I did not, I don't think I could have even have dreamed that sort of in publishing, they call it a tale. Like when your book comes out and usually in the launch, you get sort of some excitement. And then um, a lot of times, which is okay, this is part of how it goes sometimes, that excitement wears down and, you know, you might not sell a lot more books. And that doesn't mean that's not a good book. That's just sort of people's attention span sometimes only lasts so long. And what we've seen with Trisofter, uh, my editor says that it has a very, very long tail, which means that it continues to sort of get in folks' hands at a rate that is, I do feel a little dumbfounded, you know, like I think, I, I think the last count that I heard was something like 75,000 copies sold, um, which frankly, for a person who was like, hey, I would just like to get these words on a paper. And I just really want to create something that, you know, for me, it was like, first and foremost, um, thinking of my younger self, and then ultimately, how could this serve other folks out of what I've learned? And so that whole piece, I feel profound gratitude to God, because it feels mm. like for me, what it has felt like is, you know, in the story in the Bible where the boy comes with the loaves and the fishes, and then Jesus blesses that and he feeds a whole multitude. Mm. And I feel a little bit like that boy who brought something very real, very tangible. This is truly the fruit of my own education, healing and journey that is real. But um, there is no way in my humanness that really for it to be multiplied, like for me, that just I, I see God all over that because it's so far beyond my capacity of what I could probably have even hoped. So so I just, just to speak to that um, and how my life has changed. I mean, I think what's interesting is that in some ways it's changed kind of significantly like I and then in other ways it hasn't at all, <laughs> you know. I mean, in many ways, I just am on the, you know, doing what I do and just really committed, tenaciously committed to my own healing, um, especially in a world where honestly, it would be really easy to lose yourself in this idea of some sort of momentary fame, right? Even for reasons that are like really beautiful. But I think there, for me, it's actually been the, the call to go deeper into my own journey to the commitment of, I am so grateful when I hear good feedback and I feel so blessed, but it almost feels like a child who's growing up. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, look at you. Look at you're out there doing that thing. And and it's still connected to me and it's still a part of me. But it's also like Trisofter's out there sort of like doing her own thing. Um, and I love that. And I love that she's sort of been able to have that even though and then it ultimately comes back to me. But sometimes I do get recognized at some really random places like at the airport or the mall or people will just come up to me and say, hey, I think I think I'm reading your book right now. <laughs> I, should, I had this woman say, hey, I, I, I started reading this book last night and I think you're the author. Wow. And, uh, 
And it was just, yeah. So, I mean, there are some of those moments, but it's, I think for the most part, it's a lot more just being committed to my own journey. And um, in terms of the piece around hearing people's experiences with it, holy moly. I mean, I... I get emotional just even when I consider some of the emails, some of the feedback. I mean, things that I hear are, you know, this is the first time in my life that I've read a book that integrates faith in a way that makes me feel loved and that like I can actually heal and that I can bring my faith with me. I hear things from folks who are like, you know, I've been, I'm a complex trauma survivor. Um, I felt like I had to almost leave my faith so that I could heal. And what I'm learning about in this book, like helps me to know, you know, just how valuable I am and tools that reinforce and strengthen my own healing. I, I mean, just some of the ones, there are times when I just sit at my computer and I just weep. Um, because it is a profound honor. It is to, to be even a small part of someone's journey as they partner with God in healing. And again, you have gone to seminary and you have graduate degree and you're a voracious learner and self-studier. Um, and you're, you're part of a professional community where you offer and receive, but it's really also the loaves and fishes of your own story and your own journey. And back to what you said, this is what I needed. And my bias is that that's what the secret sauce is in your book, is that you don't just share it once as an illustration at the beginning, but your wisdom is written all throughout, uh, even in terms of how you address the readers and how you interact. So I'm so happy for your success. And I, I really resonate even vicariously with your readers when um, I've had people respond to things that I've written or said. And you hear like, whoa, I never I had hoped and prayed for that, but I couldn't even have imagined that. And you see uh, in real time how somebody was impacted by all that labor that you put in. And at one point I was struggling to finish surfing for God. And one of my friends said to me, sit and write and pretend that there are five or six men sitting in front of you who you have counseled or who you want to talk to. And what would you say to them? And it totally changed the kind of conversational flow that was there. And that's another thing I love about TriSofter is the conversational aspect of it, where mm. people feel like they're sitting down with, with you. And that's really neat. Mm. Thank you so much. And yes, I, I mean, I'm just so grateful for the work that you're doing. And I, it's so encouraging to me, you know, that we get to do these collaborate, this collaborative work, right? Where just like the healing continues and that we sort of create more and more spaces that people can enter in um, and know how deeply valued they are. Yeah, it's a cool thing. Podcasts. And I, I'll often joke now that, you know, everybody has a podcast, including pets and uh, thing, people like that or living beings like that. But um, who would have thought when I started out in graduate school 30 years ago that you could get colleagues sitting around or people of different disciplines and thinking deeply about the work that they've done or the work that they're creating. And I really feel like it's a brand new medium that's allowing people to access healing in a way that's pretty profound because all of the clients that I work with, I don't know if you experience this, they've got three or four podcasts on rotation 
that they listen to. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I've definitely seen that with folks I work with. I, I mean, I have that. I think it is just a great resource for folks. Um, especially when, you know, especially the last couple of years, sometimes connection has been difficult. And so to have that, you know, the tone of someone's voice, right? We know through polyvagal theory how sound um, can communicate safety to our bodies in a way um, that is really vital. And so I think I love reading. And I think this is a way that we get to connect with people um, that is really special. So out of your writing Try Softer and then out of life, this new book, uh, Strong Like Water, has emerged. And tell us about the new book. Yeah, so strong like water. I, in some ways, I have to giggle because I think it probably feels a little bit like, wait, weren't you just talking about try softer and now, you know, here's strong like water. And um, one of the things that I've been saying is that um, first and foremost, there's a sense in which strong like water was was birthed out of these years of learning to try softer, almost like there was no, like it was almost like, of course, that's what would be birthed. That it is that gentleness, you know, and this is something I've been saying for a long time, things like compassion and gentleness create something in us that is very solid, that is very strong. And even the last chapter of Try Softer is about resilience, you know? So strong like water what began to happen for me is there's a lot of both andness to this book. Like I would say in many ways, this is a book I have also been writing my whole life um, because part of my story is that I was known as being the strong one. I have often in my life been perceived as having what I would say a certain kind of strength. And that strength, a lot of the time, um, was really about being fully or partially in a trauma response, if I'm totally mm. honest. And so over the last couple of years, what started to happen is I kept having this sense of like, I don't want people to feel like they have to be strong like that all the time. And... I want to invite people to know that it takes a lot of strength to heal. And so what would it be like for us to create a more expansive view of strength to say that what I call it in the book is situational strength. And that's what I would call is sort of rooted in that survival response that when we're showing up in the world in a way where we feel like it's life or death, there is a type of strength that our body accesses and that is valid. That is valid because that feels like what we need to do. And as we have the safety and support that we need, the resources, our body naturally moves towards what I would call a more integrated strength. And so in the book, I talk a lot about this concept that I would say is, is called the flow of strength. And Really, the book is all about this journey of honoring the both and ness of all of this work. Like we, 
want to learn to have and access the resources we need um, so we can move towards a more integrated strength, towards that sense of, you know, when we bring in like the window of tolerance, for example, like our prefrontal cortex is online, we're in our window, we're in our ventral vagal. Um, That's more where we're living when we're in integrated strength. But what I have found is a lot of folks shame themselves for the times that they are experiencing triggers or trauma responses or anything that feels connected to not being fully integrated. And so my hope is, is that there, that there's a sense in which this is both sort of a map and sort of a way to learn how do we come back to ourselves and access safety again and again so that we can honor how we've shown up in the world and continue to live in a more integrated way. There's a lot there. Um, so with that, shift to the metaphor for a minute, because as you were talking and you talked about a more expansive view of strength, I was thinking about water as ice, steam, and liquid and the molecular structure. And so how is water strong? I'm sure mm. that you unpack that in the book. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the reasons that I love the metaphor of water is that water can be adaptive um, based off of different circumstances, right? So it could be steam or it could be ice, it could be a solid um, or it could be liquid. And not only that, but water is right. Water can be really small or water can be really big. Water is tenacious. It can get around things in ways that through the tiniest creek, like, like tiny little crack water can get through. Like there is a sense in which water is, is like, yes, it's like, it's like water is so able to adapt to so many different circumstances. And there's a sense in which I see that in us. I I believe God designed us in the goodness of God is that our body, as we perceive the level of safety that exists, we will adapt like water. And that's where that flow of strength comes in. That is as our body perceives like, oh, this is not safe. Like the best thing for me to do is to be in situational strength. Like that is a gift. That is a gift because that allows us to continue to survive. And it's also important to help our bodies that as we're able to learn when those processes are over, right? Like, like, oh, that trauma has actually ended. So as we have the resources to learn that, um, this is also part of strength. And so receiving care, receiving the ability to what I talk about in the book is something, the phrase compassionate resourcing. And so that's, that's what I would say is a big difference between Trisofter um, and Strong Like Water. I definitely touch on this in Trisofter, but in Strong Like Water, I really try to equip folks with even more ideas to sort of leverage areas of their life or areas of their experience that they can begin to connect with through the lens of safety to help them move along that flow of strength in the ways that they need. 
And without that safety, then the strength will either diminish or disappear or it will escalate and take over fight or flight or uh, freeze or faint. That's exactly it. What you're naming, that it's all based on our ability and our body's inherent ability. I really, in the book, I pull on a lot of like polyvagal theory. We use a lot, again, of the window of tolerance language to tie this to um, the flow of strength. Understanding, again, that, you know, for so many folks, right? Like we are taught to just shame ourselves (laughs) if we're not showing up in the world in a certain way. But what if... We could get curious and we could say, oh, my reaction to this moment is about the way my body is perceiving this. So what do I need and what do I have access to and and what is available to me that would allow me then to actually show up in the ways that I want? And that curiosity shifts us and, 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 you know, compassion is such a part of that resource because if so often we lead with shame. Mm. So if we can soften that a little bit and recognize like, oh no, this is my body communicating something to me. And that is valid. As we're talking about strength and these different places of strength coming from a place of safety, give a couple examples of how you help people to feel safe in the moment. You talked about mm. earlier in the conversation, just vocal tone and voice. But what are some different ways to, before people read the book that they can be thinking about feeling safe or unsafe? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just as a reminder, in case folks don't know this, um, you know, polyvagal talks about this concept of uh, neuroception. So neuroception is essentially our body's um, autonomic uh, surveillance system. So this is this idea that even when we're not aware of it, our body is constantly scanning for safety or threat. And what that means is, is that even from like moment to moment, as something shifts in our environment, our sort of our nervous system state will also shift. Now, as we become aware of that, it can shift into what would be called like we're perceiving it. We're aware of it. But many of us, especially trauma survivors, go through much of our life having these huge shifts in our experience. And we don't even know that it's maybe happening. There's no language. Folks haven't been taught this, right? And so they don't realize that, oh, like when someone um, walked in that room and they looked at me that way and my body is starting to tense up, that's related to neuroception. Um, Even like if a, if a door, perhaps like, let's say you're in a counseling session. Um, I've had this with, uh, with clients that I've worked with where it's like, they want to make sure that the door is locked because for them, that, um, sort of is a cue for safety and them not knowing that the door is locked because in the past in their life, an unlocked door has led to something unsafe. It was important for them to know that. And so all of these things are these constant, this information our body is bringing in. 
And what's important to understand is that for someone who's maybe had experiences where they've had good enough parenting, for example, they've had good enough safety in their life, they've had good enough support. Um, in those cases, our body is going to do a better job at naturally assessing like, hey, is the situation safe? Okay, it's safe. Cool. I can go on with my day. Folks who have a lot of unresolved trauma, and again, it's going to look different for different people because our traumas can look very different. That unresolved trauma, what, what is happening in our body is that our, our nervous system may not always accurately assess the threat. And so we may sometimes have a mismatch around something that is actually unsafe versus whether it is safe. And so I bring that up because the thing is, is that if something is actually unsafe, we want our bodies to access our stress response, our trauma response, or as I talk about in Strong Like Water, situational strength. Like that is appropriate to the level of like whatever the proportion of threat is, we, we need that. So I just want to say that because I think sometimes people sort of get this idea like, oh man, let's just all be so calm and regulated all the time. And while there's value to that, we want to be able to react when there is threat. So when we bring that back to, to your original question, which is like, how do we access safety? This is where it's important to understand that if we are experiencing a mismatch, meaning a situation for all intents and purposes is fairly safe, but we ourselves don't feel safe. This is where we have the potential to build in safety. Um, I love that. So Dr. Arielle Schwartz, she talks about resources as anything that communicates safety to our body in the present moment. So if folks have ever have followed my work, you know, I talk about things like, for example, grounding, which is using our five senses to really come into the present moment. It's also a form of sort of orienting ourselves in the moment. Um, both of those are really like wonderful body-centered ways that are very accessible to help our body um, sort of get a little bit more in alignment with like what's happening in this moment. You know, one of the things uh, for folks who've maybe done EMDR therapy or have done other types of uh, body-centered work, I talk a lot in Strong Like Water about what it means to build a resource. So using Dr. Schwartz's definition, it's kind of thinking like, where in my life um, have I felt safety? But also, where in my life maybe have I felt cared for? Or where is the last time I felt capable? Or where is the last time that I was able to complete something that was challenging? Or where was the last time that I set a boundary and, and I was proud of that? All of these examples, right, are, are these sort of, Deb Dana calls them sort of like glimmers, micro moments, where in our nervous system, we have access to something, that sort of window of tolerance, ventral vagal energy, where 
as we learn to honor our body and listen to the information, we can begin to say, oh, I'm noticing that I definitely have a foot in situational strength. It's a very like solid foot. So how can I, what's available to me in this moment? You know, maybe it's just a phone call to someone that I really trust. Maybe that's the most accessible. But as we build those, our nervous system experiences that as safety. And that moves us along that flow. I really like that. There's a couple of things I want to comment on. The first thing is you made such an important distinction about the mismatch or how we can inaccurately perceive safety versus danger. A lot of times when people are talking about trauma, it's just that something in the present triggers me or activates me and then I'm back there. But there often is a mismatch between, no, it really is safe. It's not an unsafe person now. That still needs to be honored, and there's compassion for the the mismatch. But it, that is an important distinction for how the brain doesn't perceive things in the present. The second thing that I want to comment on is the power of in that resourcing that you were talking about, it's not just positive thinking of saying, oh, one time I did this before, like I jumped off of a cliff into the water and I didn't die. But it's actually connecting to a bodily state that was there before and that we can still access in the nervous system, as you said. And once we access that positive bodily state, it really is a firm foundation that can then be built upon. And it reminds me of how so much healing is not just about taking something yucky away. It's about creating space for the resiliency and the internal image of God and strength to be released, to kind of come up more like opening a faucet up rather than trying to just shut the faucet off. Yeah, that's so that's so beautiful. And I think, you know, again, the metaphors of water (laughs) abound, right? And that... In many ways, I think of, you know, from a faith perspective, I think of our experience of God, that God with us, Jesus, is a profound resource to us in this work, right? That that God is like the river that doesn't run dry, the well that doesn't have an end, that we can access, right? And, and the goodness of God is that we also carry those resources, that those experiences that have been helpful to us. We carry those in our body and we have access to sort of the resource. And so I think for me, this book felt so hopeful, so hopeful to write that I think that there is this sense in which Wow, like even though there is so much difficulty, there's, there is so much pain, there is so much chaos, there are all these things. And yet, as we are able, that God gives us eyes to see what is actually here, like this, this reality, um, beyond reality, in a way, that is available to us and, and that there's no shame when we can't always see it because that's our body, like doing actually what our body's designed to do. And then as we come into safety, um, that shifts 
that experience. This may be super obvious to you, but I think something just clicked in my mind uh, that Try Softer was really a book about um, integrating and integrated vulnerability and strong like water sounds like it's about integrated strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely. Like, I, I think ultimately, you know, on the flow of strength, that's sort of one side of it is is moving towards that. And I think what I would say is that it's it's about living in that flow. So, like, recognizing that I, I don't think it's super possible to spend all of our time in integrated strength. Like I I would like to. (laughs) Um, And yet I think it's about the mercy of God in the flow of our life, that there's never a time, there's never a time that we are not loved in that flow and that we are moving towards that place of integrated strength. And yet we're held in that whole journey. Yeah. And I think what I meant, by integrated strength and integrated vulnerability is that in that flow, and I love, love, love the word flow, especially as it relates to the river. Um, and um, Psalm 46, for example, we'll all quote, be still and know that I'm God, but it's in the context of this. There is a river that flows that makes glad the city of God. And it's not mm-hmm. talking about Jerusalem because Jerusalem didn't have a river. It's talking about the river within the river of life. But um, the integrated strength in my mind is that I can have situational strength, but I can also be profoundly, heroically strong by choosing to be vulnerable and Mm. to choose situationally to not have to step up and volunteer to lead this committee that I'm on because that's going to exhaust me. Situationally, that I can choose to do self-care that I can choose to identify the mismatch that you talked about mm. and to pause and to find safety within. And for those of us that know that have come through trauma, sometimes that kind of positioning ourselves is like rolling a boulder up a hill to be that vulnerable. So mm. integrated strength is the strong and the weak, mm. the infinite and the finite, the limited and the unlimited. And then integrated softness is in the same way that you can lead an organization, you can be a trauma surgeon, you could be president of the United States, you could be a first responder with an AR-15, and you could be vulnerable and presumably in some way still be compassionate, patient, kind, gentle, um, and yet have that kind of fierce strength. That it's not just a black or white, all or nothing way of defining things. Yes, I, I love that. And, and thank you for unpacking that because yes, that's absolutely sort of my heart and my vision for this book is to honor the fullness of the, our fierceness and our softness. Like I didn't lose what we talked about in Try Softer. I brought it with me. Right, 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 right. That it is actually um, deeply, deeply intertwined into the work of strong like water is the ability to be soft. You know, again, with the metaphor, like water is soft. It can be soft. It can also be very fierce. 
which is why for me, I mean, I, I love, I love this metaphor so much. I mean, I'm sure other folks might get tired of it, but for me, I, I, you know, I've been talking about it for a couple years now and I don't see that, uh, get it, myself getting tired of that anytime soon, just because it's so life giving to be able to recognize how much it applies to us. That it's that if real strength was about being this um, armored up person, this sort of, you know, if you think about it, like, like the ice, right? If ice was the only state available to water, sure. in in a few situations that that could be seen as being really strong, but it would, it would break very easy. It's not flexible. It cannot adjust. It cannot adapt, you know, and that the invitation, when I think about Jesus, like I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And, and as I wrote this book, I wrote in that direction, right? That this is the work of bringing the fullness of our stories. This is the work of not, not leaving the pain that we've experienced, not dismissing it, not minimizing it, but bringing it and honoring it. And through the way our body is designed to metabolize pain, that as the parts that need to be sort of let go, they, they will let go. But the gold, the gold will come to. And I think that was important for me, partly in my own life, that this has been my own journey of learning to integrate one of the chapters later in the book, I talk about this. Um, I have an experience where I was actually inducted into the Hall of Fame for my high school basketball um, a couple years ago. And basketball, I talk about a few times in the book, but it's a huge part of my story. And it's a big part of what helped me survive my childhood. And I'm so grateful for that. But for many years, I was almost afraid of this fierce part of myself because I felt like I didn't quite know what to do with her, you know? And so I sort of felt like I had to disconnect from it. And obviously we can't disconnect from, for me, this fierceness represents, you know, anger and healthy anger and um, the ability to advocate on your own behalf, things like that. And so this journey of learning to partner with this part of myself who carried a lot of pain, carried a lot of um, hardship for me on my behalf, that as I learned to resource her with compassionate attention and compassionate resourcing became, you know, in the language of like Alison Cook and Kimberly Miller, she became an ally to me. She is an ally to me. I partner with the fierceness of myself. And in Trisofter, harnessing and learning and tending that compassion itself. And so together, that there is a fullness that is created through these different experiences that I think allow, um, I think me, but ultimately, I, I believe all of us have various versions of this in our own life. And I think God invites us to that. 
You just mentioned um, Kimberly and Allison, and they've been guests on the podcast, and we've discussed their work and use IFS and their boundaries for the soul material here at Restoring the Soul. Can you talk a little bit about, even though this may not be a, a direct subject in either of the books, but I know this is kind of how you do life and your work, how we can find safety in addressing our internal parts and younger parts in particular, as you mm. talked about. Like, what might that look like for someone who finds himself getting angry a lot at the grocery store? And as you're talking with them as a therapist, you, you realize that they don't feel safe inside in a lot of mm. ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, several lenses come to mind right when you say that. But I think um, from like integrating sort of the somatic piece and the and the IFS piece, um, you know, part of what I might encourage that person to do, I mean, first of all, if we can even begin to like, let's say we're talking about that in a counseling session, um, that is probably a good place to begin to build the awareness, right? Because it's possible that like, when they're in the grocery store, they may be so in IFS language blended with that part. They may not even have the capacity to lead that part to, um, or in, in the language I use in strong like water, like they may not have the ability to compassionately resource themselves yet. It, the more significantly they are, um, into, you know, they're outside of their window of tolerance, basically. So what I would say is, is that first and foremost, if you can begin to build that awareness, I think that's really helpful and really important. So I would, if let's say this is someone who I'm working with, part of what I might begin to do with them is talk through, um, what's coming up for you in this moment, like as you're thinking about the grocery store. So let's say they say, oh, wow, my chest is really, really tight (laughs) and and I'm noticing some heat in my face. And then they may be able to recognize, oh, that's the part. That's my anger. Okay, so here we are. Hello, anger. Like, it's good to see you, you know, and we recognize that this anger um, in strong like water language, this is this is situational strength that this is a protector. We want to validate first and foremost that that protector is there for a reason. Um, and so as we're doing that together, what we might just do is begin by, you know, honestly, in that moment, I would actually invite them if they feel comfortable to take a hand and place it on their chest. And even just to say, you know, is there anything anger that you're wanting to tell me and to begin to start a conversation with that anger. If that anger is like, you know, there's not enough time in the day and people are always getting in my way. And, and to begin to validate that anger. Oh, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing that you're angry. I'm hearing that you feel like you don't have enough support. Um, building back from that, I think when we're, when we validate our experience, that begins to, it's almost like that part, because they feel heard, they don't have to work so hard to get our attention. And then we might just be kind of build back from that. Like, Hey, what, how can I sort of support you anger as we go into this? 
And, and that's where I would, um, for example, I talk about this in Strong Like Water. I might help someone build a future video. This is where we actually practice the, in, like the trip and build in the resources to the trip. And we add in bilateral stimulation so that it, it anchors into our body so that, that that protector feels more supported in those moments. Um, and if we can't get there or in like someone is listening and they're about to go into the grocery store, I mean, I would always recommend doing things like grounding. Um, I would always recommend doing things like putting your phone away, um, trying to be as, uh, you know, doing one thing at a time, um, going, you know, maybe it's going at a time when the store is less busy. So I think there are like all these levels of safety that can potentially be added. And what I love about that is back, back to your word of simply being curious as opposed to, oh, gosh, I got angry and then beating yourself up. And uh, maybe for a Christian saying that was a sin and I shouldn't do that. And I'm just going to try not to be angry. And we all know where that goes. Mm-hmm. So thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you for giving that that example and unpacking that a little bit. Mm-hmm. We are out of time. And I want to thank you, Andy, for your time. And I want to congratulate you on the book, Strong Like Water. It's always, always delightful and a joy to talk with you. So I so appreciate your time. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Michael. It's always good to be with you. So thank you for listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. What we're all about is helping couples and individuals get unstuck. You know how some people go to counseling or marriage therapy for months or even years and never really get anywhere? Our intensive programs help clients get unstuck in as little as two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com.